0: Things like things like that. <laughs> I start recording.
4: Um, I, I I first I just want to say this. I found something. Actually, I, w- I didn't find. I was given. I'm going to tease this right I, now. I, I'm going to tease it out. I was texted our friend Katie, uh, who lives in Vancouver. Good friends of ours. They've come to our live shows in Vancouver. And uh, Mark Mark <coughs> and Katie. Katie texts me every once in a while, and she'll send me articles that she thinks that I will. A, find funny but also find valuable for the for the show. Mm. She sent me a text the other day of the most badass hilarious wild thing I've seen in a long time and I teed it up. I was going to bring it to today's episode, but it's so good that I think instead I'm going to save it to premiere in one of our first YouTube videos because Whoa, you Dude, did that. I did. And we are now, we are now so it, it, it hasn't happened yet, but it is coming very soon, folks. We are gonna be starting to publish uh, some some content on our YouTube channel because now we're in, in our new beautiful bitchin YouTube set slash recording studio here in Halifax,
0: Sick Boy mm-hmm.
1: HQ. Sick Boy HQ is it this is officially known.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, it, it might,
0: it might, so you're gonna want to head over to YouTube and search up Sick Boy, look under the channels and subscribe to that channel right away because yeah. because the video could be out as soon as like this coming Monday. Yeah, so if you're yeah. listening to this on Friday when it drops, we're we're planning for some content and to if, come if, up. If you have soon. the
4: slightest boner from what <laughs> I just said? Like that I'm about to tee up the fucking wildest shit you've ever seen.
1: You can't you say de- that. Though, you definitely want to go you're subscribe making right it, now. You're making it. You're building it up. Now you know too what this much.
4: is. This is this is too much hype, dude. This is generating interest in our YouTube channel. But here, you know what I did? <laughs> tee up,
1: smash that subscribe button. So what, what, I, what I did, <laughs> hit that bell yeah, icon.
4: Yeah. What I what I did tee up for today. Other than that, that I think it would be kind of interesting to talk about is uh, this. Fuck. This is this kind of blew my mind. This is coming out of the UK. Before I go into this. I guess I have a question for all of you. Would you, would, would each of you, how, what are your thoughts on, on, um, on like putting yourself forward in the name of science to do, to do like a, a scientific study with your body. Right. So like this, this is something that I've been a part of it, through CF uh, countless times. I've been a part of yep. a number of studies And in those studies, I've, I've, I've been like, uh, there was one time I remember where I was a part of a study. I forget exactly what it was for. It was some sort of new drug that they were working on that had something to do with lung function. It was a while ago. And I, I'm not sure if I got sugar pills or if I got the actual medicine Mm -hmm. and, and you never find
1: out they don't even tell you after the fact.
0: No, I think you got the actual medicine and this explains a lot now. <laughs> this could be. it. yeah. This could be. A, I, I want to say like, why like, your lung
1: function is better. You mean?
4: Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> lung function is doing really well right now.
0: But th- this was years ago. Bro. I, I, I want to say right away. As soon as you ask that question, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm all over that because I, number one, I would donate my body to science um, after I die for sure. Like with mm-hmm. a without a shadow of a doubt, you can do whatever you want to me. I'm cool yeah. with it.
1: But even before I, die, I also think, but. Piss on me, beat me. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> Try it wow. out.
0: Um, even even before I die, like I think about, I think about going to Mars, for example. Like I, I'm one of these guys who believes Elon Musk when he says 2050 million people on Mars. Like I've heard the counterarguments to like why it's not possible, but you know I'm hopeful and I believe in it. Sure, let's and say it is possible. You
4: would be one of the people who are I, going. I'm gonna I'm gonna join the, the sign up for that. I'm w- gonna join the frontier
0: because the i think new of frontier. it i think of it like um the uh, like the maybe this is a bad uh, reference or analogy now but the people who are like coming over on the ships from europe and like yeah, I, was, <laughs> gonna say, yeah, so I, I was, was gonna say colonizing. <laughs> it's a, um, it's well, similar. It's a similar. They did. Yeah. yeah, they but, did, and we are going to. So. But but yeah. like the the pioneering of like like leaving your safe homeland in in hopes to like yeah commit genocide somewhere the more, else <laughs> the more i say it the, the more i'm like oh, oh we, we know what you mean though we know what, <laughs> you, you, mean. Know what you know the what difference
1: I mean. is the difference is, is there's not a bunch of people that are, are already, already there chilling well, on mars well guys just <laughs> to say just to
0: say they just landed the rover on mars i believe I know. Oh, shit, that was today that was today, today. Was what it. today at
1: three that was no dude no it's happening right oh now. guys let's
0: stop recording, let's stop
1: recording.
4: <laughs> uh, we're gonna but, go watch history guys you know what i'm saying genocide aside uh, uh, There, you know, there, there, there were people who, who left their lives in one place where there was like, they had a lot of, they built up a lot of comforts in that place and they were used to a certain lifestyle. And then they came to, to them, to them, new land. And it's also more decided to, decided to, decided to set roots in that place. Dude, that wasn't fun for them. Like that was that was hard for fucking the people who go there to Mars now we're talking about Mars let's just leave fucking yeah, let's leave that let's colonization drop the analogy. it's of not working Earth alone uh, <laughs> to to colonize Mars the first let's say the first batch of folks that land that's going to suck Wait, you watch it
1: Mars is, you watch g- the national geographic that like Half docu, half Mm -hmm. drama series? Yeah, Yeah,
0: I watched it too. That was crazy. I usually don't watch much, but I watched it. We're getting way the fuck off track.
4: So I had asked, would you (laughs) sign up for a fucking study for your body,
1: let's leave space
4: out of this. It's <laughs> a
0: good idea. Fuck Elon yeah. Musk. We
4: should have totally we really should, should just avoided Scientific done. studies
1: All of that. and colonization. <laughs>
4: yes. Okay, Brian. I think I got your answer enough out of you, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, so I'd like to go everybody. back
2: to the to the genocide of the people so, in North Jesus America. Christ. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I I totally would, especially because uh I'm a woman, and for a long time, um, uh, the default human body that was studied in in science was male and. And that's the reason a lot of right. uh, like women's health is so far behind uh, like men's health or mm. it has just been neglected so you, in a study. Are you I'm sure you're not
0: just hysterical? So, <laughs> <cut> <laughs> me open. Guys, guys, oh guys can I take my back <laughs> my answer and use Lauren's <laughs> answer?
4: Yeah, sure. That was such a, yeah, was such a uh, good answer. So you want to be a part of the fun. Okay, Taylor.
1: Yes. Um. Yeah, I I. I would. But uh, at the same time, I realized I, I was just, as you said that I had a, I had a flashback to like a month ago where Brian sent me Brian sent me a study that was asking for um like hi, like highly trained cyclists to to partake in this study and to do like all these fitness tests and all these things to <clears throat> I can't even remember what the what the what the what the desire for the study was. I think what it was, was like it was? a
0: cardi, cardi
1: cardiovascular, yeah. something to do with cardiovascular. Riveting. And I and, and I went <laughs> and I looked at it and I went, Oh, that's interesting. And then I looked at the training program that they wanted you to complete for it. And I went, it's oh, not really the kind of training that I want to do right now. <laughs> so I didn't do it. So, uh, so your answer hypothetically was
0: yes. But then in practice, when you actually yeah, have yeah, the yeah. opportunity Theoretically, to Theoretically, yes. Practically, no. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, the UK <clears throat> has approved a first of its kind study that will expose young and healthy volunteers to COVID-19 as a part of their efforts to further understand the virus. So they're going to they're gonna round up. A bunch of young'ins, 18 to 30, and they're gonna give, give them, them COVID.
2: That kind of sounds fun. Yeah. Is this a party? Because that's what I would do that. <laughs> See, I wouldn't maybe, do that maybe if it was like <laughs> and it was like a scientifically condoned thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm not yeah. gonna yes, go to some super spreader event yeah, th- th- that the government right, for COVID. doesn't tell me not to. This is like,
4: other stuff th- like this isn't <laughs> an orgy <laughs> where someone showed up and had COVID. No, um, exactly. Yeah, this is actually yeah. the the uh, this is this is the UK uh you know health authority uh they're they're coming together giving um giving young folks covid to see if to see what we can learn so yeah. uh it's due to begin in the next few weeks the study will recruit uh up to 90 carefully selected participants again b- between the ages of 18 and 30 who are at the lowest risk of complications from coronavirus nice. and expose them to the pathogen in a safe and controlled environment.
2: Is this just Glastonbury this year?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, After exposure, the volunteers will be closely monitored by medics and scientists for 24 hours a day throughout the study. They will be kept in quarantine for a minimum of 17 days and only allowed to return home
0: after this period once they are no longer deemed Hmm. infectious. You know what, though? I was also wondering how they're going to give it. To to the these people in this study. And I was thinking, like, if you're gonna do it, you might as well like have fun <coughs> while you're doing sure. it, right? Like it would kind of make sense to have like a mini music festival and mm-hmm. get everybody together and be like, yeah. Hey, listen, we're gonna you're all gonna get COVID anyway.
3: That's probably in the name the of science. That's probably how the
0: scientists So we should too. have some fun. Scientists yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's or, have an orgy. Or, or they're like, like <laughs> have an <orgy> and then <laughs>
4: Or you, you you show up and they're like, Hey, you know, you have to do this and we're gonna give you a Nintendo Switch.
0: Yeah. And or, you just keep yourself fucking. Uh, well, they're definitely Or a pay game
2: them. of Monopoly because that's how long it takes to play a game
0: <laughs> yeah. of Monopoly. They are going to pay in right? or Risk. Yeah. Well, there there
4: is pay involved. Before Some I before sify. before I get to that,
1: also I will say that. The reason that I wouldn't do this,
4: you, so, so you wouldn't do, I
1: wouldn't do this for COVID. And the reason being is that that I'm too old. I'm, I'm, I'm 47 in October (laughs) and, and, um, and you know, I'm kind of like teetering on that risk category. Um, but the reason that is that there's been too many cases of like, what's happens after COVID. Yeah, with these like outlier things where, you know, you got this, you got a heart issue, you've got breathing issues. And, and again, like selfishly, one of the, one of the reasons why I've one of the reasons, one of the many reasons among like the health (laughs) of the community that I don't want to get COVID is I don't want to be your FTP. I take my, I take my, my cardio really seriously. And I don't want that to be at risk from getting COVID and not being able to like get back to that level afterwards. Yeah, Mm. dude, you wear a whoop strap. Well, how how are they,
2: how are they compensating the participants? Because that's the other thing. And like in in scientific studies, if you participate, usually you will get some sort of compensation for your trouble.
4: So before we get to that, I think this is kind of interesting, Taylor, you're saying you wouldn't do it. Um, uh, so
1: although I'd be interested in the results. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Sure, 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 sure. So so it's hope the research uh which, which has received it's received 33.6 million pounds in government funding. And the idea is that it will help doctors further understand how the immune system reacts to SARS CoV 2. Mm-hmm. Um, in young people specifically. In, young, in it, yeah, well, I think it just generally in, in humans, but they I, I, I think they, they want to see how the immune system reacts to it. In general, mm-hmm. but the reason they're using young folks is because they're the least at risk to yeah, right. to, to So it's get like really the
1: only ethical way they can do it, probably. Yeah. yeah.
4: Um, uh, also, I, I can't find where it was, but the, but they they had so they 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 created this is a created coronavirus that was made by this lab in right. the UK exactly um,
1: like the original one. Uh,
4: so this is this is what is known <laughs> as a which is known as a human challenge study. <laughs> Um, and human challenge studies have been used in the past, uh, and they've been implemented before to, to, to accelerate the development of treatments for things like malaria, typhoid, cholera, Novavirus, flu. So like pretty, you know, uh, some of those things are, are, are pretty intense illnesses that have taken a lot of lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that these folks, I'll, I'll get to how much they're getting compensated, but to be to to get yourself involved in a, a human challenge study, Taylor, to which you are saying you wouldn't do this one, would you? If the
0: price was right, I also wanted to know that. And how? What is your uh, price? I mean, and, what, and what is your price? Is.
1: What is my price? Yeah, name your Ooh,
4: price. Damn. Well, I guess, I guess the first question is: Is there a price that you price? are willing to to go? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd be a price because everybody's got a because price. Because if the price was like, <laughs> if the price was equivalent to like two years' salary or something like that, then I would probably go, yo. Calculate the odds of me still being sick two years down the road, and go, yeah, I'm. Th- I'm seeing that as a. Although we have no idea how long that those like long haul shit. Combined. I was going to say
0: two years of podcast salary because uh, <laughs> that's not a lot of money. Choke change
1: <laughs> Two years worth of, of living two like years possibly. worth of salary out of all the things that I do and all the ways that I make money yeah, combined. Right. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> okay. That, uh, I, that's a smart, that's a smart. I, and, I like and that. I, and I, and I would probably put it around two years just, and that's just like a, that's just an instinctual kind of gauge. What about you, Brian? 70 bucks.
4: Seventy bucks. Period. (laughs) Yeah. Just like seventy bucks. Come in. We 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 spit COVID in your mouth. Yeah. You sit here for seventeen days. At the end of it, we have seventy. Fucking pounds, or actually, you said bucks. Seventy, for, you yeah, went, seventy Canadian yeah. dollars. Seventy Canadian, and that's dollars for, for
2: COVID you. too. Wow. Like researchers, take note. You've got a cheap date over here. Fucking, Contact you,
0: Brian Stever for. Are, are you serious? I, I'm serious in the sense that, and the, and I like. And, <laughs> and, and, are you serious? And, so listen, so listen. <laughs> I have a, I have my justification. I honestly would probably do it for zero dollars if if I could get a guarantee that the results of the study were going to better humanity. Even if you That's my fuck miss university. You, dude. That's such <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> okay. I, I I genuinely I genuinely believe in if so somebody's going to have to do it. Makes sense the guy bought a bunch of GameStock stocks the other day <laughs> just just to just to join the movement. Guys, okay. I love movements. Game GameStop stonks, stonks. It, it, it all depends on how they advertise the movement. If, yeah. if they use the word movement. Right.
1: If the, narr- if the narrative is right. Yes. Yeah. It depends the on the branding right. of the yeah. study. Yeah. 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 The yeah. narrative set by the man like, guys, is good. Guys. Coney <laughs> 2012. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Kony
0: 2012. Yeah. You For are me all too-y. about the
4: problematic uh, statements today. <laughs> uh, Lauren, <laughs> what, what, what would you think? I'll take it
0: back.
2: Oh man, uh, I'm pretty low risk, and I'm within age range. Uh, I think that yeah, I would have to make a similar calculation in terms of like how I would be compensated because Ooh. that's the things I wouldn't want to get fucked up for a long time. Because I, I don't know. Jokes aside, like I, I would really prefer not to get COVID.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. Hundred percent.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Oh, it would depend on the <laughs> on the institution and a lot of yeah. how I'm yeah like the conditions that it's under like I don't know it's kind of a lame answer but it would yeah. It would depend you I, know? I've
4: thought about this today as I knew we were going to be talking about this and uh and I was like would I do I have a price because like I think <laughs> I feel like there's a lot more on the line you like, shouldn't have a price. Yeah, you I shouldn't. I shouldn't have a price but I, I think I do everybody has a price I think I <laughs> that's think that's the most I cynical would...
2: thing I've ever
3: heard you say Brian <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> well
4: Two, I'd do it. I do. I do. I would. Dollars. I think I would do it for. I think I do it for a cool mill. I think I would go. <laughs> I. I. I trust in this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna do this. I would. But I would. Uh, yeah. I would do it for a mill. You think? Yeah. Yeah. But the. the, really? but, the but the. But there's a
1: possibility that you won't be able to spend any of it. Hey man,
4: there was a possibility <laughs> that I wasn't gonna live till Hold 30, and I'm on. 33, baby. Can I?
1: If if you will let me be the person. Who my manager inherits, and take 20% inherits, beneficiary. No, I, was thinking, I was thinking more of the beneficiary of your, of your, of your, of your state. <laughs> yeah, sure. Then
0: I would be in full support of you doing guys, the, guys, COVID. guys, doing a 90 COVID. year old uh, woman got COVID and made a full recovery in weeks. It's totally possible, right? To, uh, to get it and be alive. So it's and just you know the what? There really is take. nothing like anecdotal evidence. It <laughs> is. There is definitely rolling the dice in my
4: case, but, uh but, I am not one of these people that have been selected, and nor would I be one of these people that have been selected. However, the volunteers in the study, uh, which will include 12 months of follow ups as well as treatment if needed, so that's all included in this, uh, will receive roughly 70 bucks, <laughs> 88 pounds. Oh, wow. No. Are you a day oh, okay. Okay. in compensation? That? And this will amount to 4,500 pounds if the recipients remain in the study for the entire year.
1: Now then that is, that troubles me because it's, because I feel like the people other than the people that are just such good Samaritans like Brian (laughs) that are going to be taking somebody up on 88 pounds a day, which is what roughly like 120 bucks, maybe ish somewhere in that neighborhood. Alexa bucks.
4: How many Canadian dollars is 88 pounds?
1: 88 pounds is
4: 155 Canadian
1: 155 dollars. Canadian.
0: 155 Canadian. dollars. 155, 155 bucks a day. Shit, dude, Let's, do, four, let's do 40. Let's Fuck. let's do it uh, for do 365 pounds, five days. Pounds, what pounds is that? Cheap. Say again. What is it for uh, 365 days? Then.
1: Well, It's not going to be 365 days. It's going to be 17 it? days. Well,
0: no, no, no. The I t- thought they said so, for the no, year. 88 day, 88
4: dollars. 88 pounds a day. This will amount to 4,500 pounds if the participant. Remains in the study for the entire year.
0: Alexa, how much is 4,500 pounds in Canadian dollars?
1: It's like 9,200 pounds. 4,500
0: pounds is Mm 7,975.
1: So almost eight grand. Eight grand. It's not double. Yeah. Yeah. So that's horseshit. Um, Yeah. I do also want to say, and I I think that this is preying on people who don't have a lot of money. Exactly what I was going to say. And you know, my answer is 70. I,
4: I, don't know if I agree, but I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. I don't think I, it's
1: preying on people, but I think that that I will be a, the result. You're taking advantage yeah, of like people, people doing it for that. That's yeah. the
2: thing is like uh, for that, I wouldn't do it, but I have like, like I have good income. I don't need to. Right. Yeah, but yeah. if I, but if I didn't, if I was like on really hard times, my, like I had insecure mm. housing, you know, like sure, yeah. then I would. Totally. Right. So
0: and, question about it though, because so like I also you know, like acknowledging that I gave a privilege answer of saying like $70, but like thinking of the people who will actually end up being involved in this study if their incentive is primarily financial. Mm-hmm. Um, Which it most yeah, likely will so, be. So y- I see that as being a problem too, that they're only paying them that much. However, um, in in contrast, or my question about that is, is that if they're getting compensated 88 pounds a day and they're perfectly fine, and their time commitment is um you know like very minimal over the course of the year, like they have to do a few follow ups or whatever then then that's a decent financial payoff, assuming that they're going to compensate them fairly if something goes wrong because they said that any like treatment and care afterwards would also be covered well so is that? Ooh, is that yeah. is that unfair? Let me is it unfair? Let me throw this out there. I, I this this is a this, so
4: so this was coming from the Independent.co.uk who was covering this. This one um, statement was confusing to me, and now I'm kind of wondering. Now after hearing this discussion, I'm kind of wondering what this might mean. So the trial is not designed to induce symptoms in volunteers, and as soon as people start to shed virus from their nose, they will get be given. Uh, remdesivir as a preemptive treatment. So, so does that mean that the, the, the virus that they have, that they have manufactured for this study is a virus that they feel somewhat confident
1: that they can treat
4: that they, that they, that is like going to produce asymptomatic results in patients. Well, and does that ask, make a difference? And does that make a difference? We'd
0: have to ask somebody who really knows,
4: yeah, I guess. A- <laughs> well, Lauren, I'll send you the link. See if you can fucking track down someone who's a part of this study. Because I, because okay, I it, it, This is a. It's a very interesting. This is very interesting. I've never. I didn't think about it from the. I didn't think about it from the um like the ethical standpoint of including funds or including money, and then the the the, I guess the the risk of a certain population kind of feeling as though they need to take part in this. Mm. Um, but then the other thing is, what did it say about the, uh, about the, it will recruit. Okay. Rec- so it's not, it's not like random or anything. It will recruit up to 90 carefully selected patients or participants. Hmm.
1: Well, that was, uh, that was very, uh, selected. That was, how? That was very interesting and very, uh, and very compelling
4: selected uh, uh just they they spin a wheel and then uh right and it's all <laughs> right. the names out of the phone book
2: they throw an egg into it, yeah. I wanted to say a crowd, but we don't have those anymore
1: um well, you know but uh, a little earlier today <clears throat> um <clears throat> Jer Jar asked me uh well Jer came Jar came in and he said listen there's this he he came in he started he was using words like groundbreaking life changing um <laughs> um, boner inducing, um, you know, like it was, he was really going over the top with his descriptors of the, uh, the thing that he mentioned at the top of this episode, which was, um, the thing that I don't, I, st- I have no idea what it is and, uh, we're going to save it for our YouTube debut instead of using it on today's show and ask this me to, true. ask me to find something, uh, find something that we could, uh, talk about to replace that. And I came upon a number of interesting things. And, uh, the thing that came to the, uh, that rose to the top um was this article here. Now before I before I bring up what that is, do you remember uh do you remember the the poo-poo analyzer?
0: The, yeah, the like the butt butthole fingerprint scanner. The butthole
1: fingerprint poo poo analyzer toilet?
4: Oh the to- yeah, the 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 we talked about this on one of our live shows. Mm-hmm. It was a toilet and uh it's a smart toilet mm-hmm. that is made to analyze not only the consistency and the the weight and the um the the the, the health and the girth of your shits, but it also scans your anus, mm-hmm. your asshole. Ass- it takes a, and, pucker, a, pucker, a right? and and, pucker print. It, yeah, pucker. well, it doesn't <laughs> take a pucker print, but <laughs> pucker it but it basically pucker. analyzes your asshole print, <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> and 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 also your urine, uh, with like with test mm-hmm. strips and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so the uh, the whole idea is that it's like. It's give, It's basically giving you, uh, like a routine checkup every time you take a shit or a piss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Now we we yeah we talked about that on the live show. We might have also chatted about it on one of our Feel Good Friday episodes. We may as have. Well. Yeah. I have no mm-hmm. idea which one it is. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna send you to that. But uh, that's the gist of it. And the reason that this uh, caught my eye was because now now there might still be a place for the uh, poo poo analyzer toilet. And uh, I and, hope so. and I know that there is there are many <laughs> very there are many beneficial reasons for uh, or or many different benefits to analyzing and 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 coming and seeing what's going on with your body when you when it comes to analyzing doo doo and uh, and urine obviously. But then I, but I, I simultaneously had the thought to myself this this might this this might just put those poor saps out of business. Oh shit, um, possibly. Yeah. And that's why it uh, that's why I caught my eye. So this is a device. That is being developed at MIT, and the, it's a piece of technology that, is, that can detect types of cancer um, and, and a bunch of different diseases um, through the, what does it say? It says through an air sample. That can one day they like a think, fart sample? What, Stop. No, no. Like I think like a like a maybe I don't know exactly where they never really say where the air is coming from, but they say that they would fit that they hope it'll fit into a cell phone. But so and the whole technology oh. is the whole technology is based off of how dogs can detect cancers oh, yeah. and dogs yeah, can right. detect Whoa. different types of cancer, and they they mentioned in this article. Is super, super interesting. Look at this. So that so says uh uh dogs for now for 15 years or so have been able have been shown to be the earliest, most accurate disease detectors for anything that we've ever tried.
4: Dude, well, I mean, just just a little like anecdotal evidence on on in my life, uh, Big B had a bunch of brain tumors. At least we're pretty positive that he did. And before he ever had a seizure, before he had any signs of anything being wrong with him, uh my wife's dog rose right yeah started like aggressively she out of nowhere she just started aggressively sniffing his skull like that's his head. for sure and, and she wouldn't she wouldn't let it go and i was like what the fuck is up with rose especially like
1: rose is a is a is a german short-haired pointer she's a she's a pointer yeah which yeah. is she, like she's ultra hunting ultra, dog like yeah. she, she's got mm. that
0: fucking snout yeah Guys, I'm just so glad that we quickly passed over the poop part and yeah. got into yeah, yeah, something yeah. that's not. Because, poop, I after after week, because I said after last, <laughs> because I said after last week, we, say no we more shit. For cannot <laughs> a while. talk
1: about shit for a while. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. so we just we talked about poop before, and now we're we're past that. <laughs> okay, so this says, um, and their performance in controlled tests has, in some cases, exceeded that of the best current lab tests that we have. So far, many different types of cancer have been detected earlier by dogs than any other technology. This is crazy. We we are not
4: worthy of dogs. Dude, this is crazy. Look at this.
1: What's more, the dogs apparently pick up connections that have so far eluded human researchers. When trained to respond to samples from patients with one type of cancer, some dogs have then identified several other types of cancer, even though the similarities between the samples weren't evident to humans. Wow. These Mm -hmm. dogs can identify cancers that don't have any identical biomolecular signatures in common nothing in the odorants so it's not even the smell they're not detecting it it's not in the smell of it but they still can detect the differences between which is
0: incredibly impressive but then also confusing in how they could create a technology to be able to do that if they can't even understand what the dogs are doing to be able to
4: determine fucking AI baby AI. Yeah, that's right.
1: So, yeah. the, so they say. They say here, um, fuck, what, we're doomed. Uh, oh my let god! Let me see where it says this. Is it one okay. of those dog robots from Boston <laughs> Dynamics? So, so we are all cancer. The summary of this and it says. Um, <laughs> numerous, numerous, studies, oh, numerous studies have shown that trained dogs can detect many kinds of disease, including lung, breast, ovarian bladder, blah, 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 cancer, even COVID-19, Wow! simply dogs. through smell. In some cases involving prostate cancer, for example, the dogs had a 99% success rate in detecting a disease by sniffing patients' urine samples. Wow. Then it says, uh, but it takes, time to, it, it takes time to train dogs. Their availability and time is limited, so that's tough. They're busy boys. A busy, team, busy boys. A team, at re, a team of researchers at MIT Have come up with a system that can detect the chemical and microbial content of an air sample with even greater sensitivity than a dog's nose. They coupled this to a machine learning process that can identify the distinctive characteristics of the disease bearing samples. Guys, how nuts is that?
0: This makes me so sad because i've always think about at all the dogs I, that are going to be out of jobs yeah exactly we're <laughs> i've always we to euthanize so many at, dogs at some of the most joyous joyous moments of my life is when a dog runs up to you and just starts snorking around you just yeah. sniffing at you
1: and they're just going what do you got
0: and now now i'm just going to be like oh my god i have cancer, I have cancer in my butthole. <laughs> for sure <laughs> oh my god
1: holy shit there's so many vaginas and, and dicks that have cancer. I now yeah, realize because yeah. Loki's, Loki's, Loki, Loki smells all of them.
4: All the all the peas yeah. and all the V's, especially V's. He's got he, a he's got a particular he, pension
1: for V's. He does. We were we were
4: there the other night, and he, was, he really does. Lea, he, he likes Leah's V a right lot. Right into Leah's yeah. crotch. Oh, yeah, I don't know what was going on there. Wow, wow. that was wild. This is fucking exciting. So, so do, do they say when this is uh, when we're going to have these cool dog phones they, they, balls? They
1: they don't <laughs> say. They say uh, they they kind of leave it open ended in terms wow. of uh, in terms of how long.
0: Would you guys download that app? Would you because like it's kind of like yeah. it reminds me of that Heck like yeah. twenty three and me like oh do you want to know do you want to know the right. answer and and so if you had an app on your phone that was like oh shit I smell cancer on you. Would you I guess the answer is probably yes that you would want to know so you could get treated as soon as possible, but is it kind I, of scary yeah. i would I would want it yeah, I want to know
1: yeah, yeah. I would definitely want to know because yeah. why would you not want to know because if you because because the the reason that the reason that uh, the reason that it's no offense stupid to not want to know is because there are many instances in which if you just, stupid to you, if you Garrett. just knew if you just <laughs> if you know at a certain point point in time in advance, then you can treat it and it doesn't it 's not going to kill you, but mm. if you don 't know and you don 't treat it, then it will almost certainly kill you well yeah. Brian,
4: uh, you had just mentioned there twenty three andme me which is uh, a great segue uh, into what we are about soon to throw to our conversation this week. Uh, we had the absolute pleasure to sit down and speak with Joshua Keys, who's a genetic counselor, and um, we talk all things genetic counseling and and dive into the difference between the work that Josh does and the work that uh, and the and the stuff that you receive from from services like 23andMe. Um, super fascinating conversation. He was a great conversationalist, and also I think a, a listener of the show. So yeah, it's, it's always fun to have those folks pop on the show every and once not- in a while a drug dealer not Absolutely. yeah not a drug dealer but uh, although uh Joshua Keys that is that I, if i ever it sounds if, like I, a- if, I, if i'm ever going to write <laughs> a fucking uh tv show about a bunch of bikers and they run into one guy <laughs> who's pushing a lot of snow <laughs> his name's going to be Joshua no. See,
0: I think he sounds more like a DJ or musician, like Joshua Keys. Oh, have you ever met a DJ that's not slinging dope?
1: Come on. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, sorry, Brian, sorry Josh. How Brian got his point across by going, Joshua Keys. Yeah, like, but it, but it you worked. Know, it was like, effective. Uh, it was um, very effective. Uh, but
4: before we do, I want to... I want we, we got a letter. We got a letter. If you want to send us a letter, we, we always love getting them. Letters at sickboypodcast.com. Uh, this is a letter this is a letter that really kind of like um, stopped us in our tracks. And uh, it's a letter that I think just showcases the importance of the types of conversations that we are so fortunate to be a part of on the show, but also to put out to the world. Um, this is a letter that comes from uh a woman named Sarah. And she goes on to say, hi guys, this is going to sound strange, but here it goes. I am a 33 year old mother of two living in the States. I'm in a doctoral program for pedagogy, pedagogy or pedagogy. Gogy. It is gogy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Fuck. I, I wouldn't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have said it. Right? Uh, uh, I'm in a doctoral pro- program for pedagogy and educational studies. And one of my assignments just asked me to go back And recall a high school memory because I was an emo AF teen and also a huge dork, both then and now I've kept my journal for decades at this point. Anyway, in a sweet journal entry from 2002, what did I come across but a printed email from my live journal friend, Maddie. He and I spent so, so, so many hours online together in the summer of 2002 And then continued with long, rambling emails over the next three years. We became really good friends in the way that online friends work. There was a relaxed inhibition about sharing secrets because of distance and anonymity. Guys, I said that word. I have such a hard time with that word. Yeah, me too. Uh, He was my confidant, sounding board, and friend when it felt like the world was going crazy. We fell out of contact for a few years and reconnected in 2009. When, and Skyped a handful of times. I had just began, begun dating my now husband and was beginning my teaching career. I'm pretty sure he was about to go work on a movie. So again, Matt and I fell out of contact. Fast forward to tonight. As I was reading through my old journals for this assignment, I see Matt's name and immediately remember what a meaningful friendship we had. I Googled his name because I had already fully committed to procrastinating on this assignment And your podcast came up first. I saw his blog post on your website and was surprised by the photo of him in a hospital bed. Imagine the shock when I looked up the episode and saw the re-release after his funeral. To say that I'm really crestfallen would be an understatement. I'm listening to the episode now. He was such a light spirit, and to hear his humor despite his illness has me laughing and wiping away tears at my kitchen table. I'm searching for the right words to describe how I feel right now, but it's so hard. It's like a combination of grief over the loss, guilt for not knowing about it, sadness for his family. He used to tell me all about his brothers and sisters, his brother and sisters, and also a really strong feeling of gratitude for having been able to connect with him. My entire teenage experience would have been quite different without him. If the past 11 months have taught me anything, it's that we, as individuals, are not meant to exist in vacuums. That isolation and loneliness have the ability to harm just as much as a virus does. So I thought I would reach out and say, thank you for recording the podcast with him. Finding out about his passing has been really difficult, but the blow was cushioned by a little bit of, by a little bit, by being able to hear his voice, like a small scrap of him was left for me to find. I'm not sure if you are in contact with his family, but I would really like to extend my condolences to them especially his siblings. We spoke so much about them. I was convinced that his family was just the best group of people in the world to which they are. Matt was really import- a really important person to me during a really tumultuous time in my life. And my life was undoubtedly, undoubtedly pos- positively affected by his friendship. I'll be lighting a candle for him tonight and saying an extra prayer. Cheers to Matt. Take care, Sarah. And this was in reference to uh, the second episode that we ever published on the show our friend Matt Amiot who um who was on the show to talk about brain cancer and ultimately um died uh, uh shortly after we recorded that um and I also just want to just say that uh I I reached out to Sarah after after she sent this to us and I asked her if she would be comfortable with us reading that letter on the podcast to what she was. And I'm glad that she was because this is just like, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I, I, there's, there's just something so beautiful about, about knowing that taking us out of it, but just knowing that there now exists this like, time capsule mm-hmm. on the internet for oh fuck at this point now over 300 and something people that we've had on the show and knowing that a portion of those people who have been on the show up to this point already have passed away but will continue to pass away the longer mm-hmm. we do this and just knowing that that exists for the folks out there who know these people or who have had interactions with these people and whether they already know that these conversations exist and they can go back to them Mm. or like in Sarah's case, not know, and then stumble into it and have Mm -hmm. this thing that like, although it's like heart wrenching and crushing that she had to go through, um, you know, the grief of like realizing that a friend had passed, there's just something so special about now
0: her having the ability to know that she can always go back and listen to him when mm-hmm. she wants, you know? Yeah. I, I think about that. Um, every time I listen back to our conversations with Brandon and like, yeah. I'll, I'll go back and listen yeah. to them when I'm missing him and, and yeah. with Layton and with Matt and with Andrew Henderson and, and that ability to like sort of just be brought back into those mm-hmm. moments and, and remember them, um, feels special feels really special. Yeah.
1: Kind of makes you realize how or why, especially it's like a, you know, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of an art, not it's a bit of an art that's lost now because of how technology's moved on, but the way that um the way that our parents wanted to like videotape everything. Everything. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Camcorders. Yeah. Yeah. Camcorders. And you're like, why are you doing this? And they're like, so that I can look back on it and remember it. And like and and like as parents, they I think that there is a little part of parents that are always thinking in the back of their mind, like if something were to happen, Mm -hmm. you know, then like Mm -hmm. this is, we have this, whether it's for, to me or to my children or whatever, or anybody in my family that like, this is, you know, these are, this is the, you know, this is the record of the, of the, the good times. And, 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 you know, like we've kind of talked shit or, and I, I do in particular about social media and how social media like portrays this, um, You know, maybe this, it just only the highs and not the lows Mm. a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But then yesterday before, uh, before I came back over here for the hangout, I was looking at our Instagram page for some reason. I, and I, uh, I looked, I started going through, Oh, it was because I was, I I was on our Instagram page and I, and I saw the Ecuador story highlights and I was like, damn, dude, that was almost a year ago now. And I started looking through that.
4: Yeah. We knew uh, for folks that don't know you got (laughs) trapped in Ecuador. For, uh, the, for the during when, when, when the covid hit. blew up yeah
1: and and then i started going through some other of the highlight stories and when we went to la and when we were in vancouver and like these trips we've done and i was like holy shit this is so funny <laughs> and and i was like this is so funny and these were so much fun and it was very like home video yeah well i mean that's our new version of you that you know, know? and yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's this like and you know just like the podcast is it's like this yeah this solidified record of mm. of uh you know, of funny of being funny and having good times yeah. and good chats and, and getting real at the same time.
0: Yeah, I just wanna send out Sarah like an an audio hug if she's listening yeah. because uh mm-hmm. that was like simultaneously the most heartwarming here, do it right email now. that we've gotten. And also like it it's, it sucks to to find out about your friend like that. Yeah, here here's the hug. Here.
4: Just right there. I'm gonna get in here now. Right, come on in. Come on in here.
0: I'm gonna come in too. Yeah. Oh stupid hug. Oh, oh, I'm in it's
4: there. gonna be okay, Sarah. In here no, no, too. don't no no. Don't breathe. Shush. No, no. Stop. No, don't, stop do don't shush. Oh, oh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What big, the fuck, dude? Don't big, shush and don't hey, do that. Hey, man. Really hey. big ASMR
0: <laughs> squeeze.
4: <laughs> oh God. Oh <laughs> god. ASMR <laughs> is the worst. Uh, just one second. uh don't. Just don't do that. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Guys, when it take something beautiful and God make it, damn it. suck uh, <laughs> Sarah, thank you for, for sending that And hey, folks, listen, if you have a letter And you want uh, us to read it and not read on the show That's totally okay too uh, But if you want have a letter that you, you felt like, feel like you want read on the show uh, Letters at sickboypodcast.com We're always up to hearing from you No matter what it is you have to say All right, with that, uh, shall we throw to this conversation with Joshua Keyes, genetic counselor?
2: And if I may, just so he doesn't get fired, he sent us this disclaimer that he would... would, Mm. Joshua would like us to tell everyone that... uh, I do not have any professional or financial associations to the company's reference during the discussion. <laughs> I also wasn't there on behalf of any organization and the thoughts and opinion chair were my own t- with a caveat being my specialization is in clinical cancer genetics. So while I can, and some level speak to some of the things discussed, I don't want to inadvertently come off as an expert on them.
4: He didn't know. If fu- he has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> Folks. I hope you enjoy this conversation <laughs> on genetic counseling from someone who has no clue.
0: <laughs> Josh, Josh, we love you. Josh, I, Josh, I appreciate you. Thanks. Cool. I was going to say that uh, that reminds me of my experience sending in a saliva sample with 23andMe, but I feel like that's a really taboo parallel to draw between my experience with 23andMe and the work uh, that you do. Well, let <laughs> look, before we get
4: into that, let's let's do a proper introduction here. Uh, we're we're chatting with Joshua Keys. And I gotta say, you you sound like a drug dealer, um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you actually hold it. Well, I mean, maybe you do deal drugs on the side. Uh, uh, who knows? Uh, but you wow. you do hold a master's in science and uh, are a certified genetic counselor based out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, and Josh, I don't know if you know this, but we've been having uh, the 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 topic of of genetic counseling has actually come up on the podcast a few times mm-hmm. over the last um couple of months um and uh we actually had someone write in recently uh kind of schooling Brian on some of the, some of the misinformation that he was putting out there
1: <laughs> severe misinformation uh, some, s-
4: misinformation yeah. uh, central you could, you
1: could probably call it fake news
4: fake news coming out of Brian about uh you know uh, just about gene shit um and and so of course I
0: was just talking about my 23me test and how I think you, you said know, like
4: how 23me can like can can basically cure your cancer Totally
0: exactly my future cancer that I may get that that's it right. tells it tells me that I'm going to get cancer and then it tells me that it cured me at the same time Right so yeah That's basically um, how it Brian
1: works. said that but
4: let's uh I mean just for just for a bit of reference for our listeners um can you can you describe to us what a genetic counselor actually does what what is what is your job
3: yeah, good question I think it's a question a lot of people have, even people that see me as 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 patients just because you know a lot of what we deal with is pretty rare so it 's not something you come across in your day to day but essentially my entire role and a lot of what i 'll be talking about is kind of framed in the cancer world because that 's where I operate but mm. Genetic counseling can operate in like prenatal, pediatric, inherited cardiovascular disease, neurologic, like pre-implantation infertility stuff. Um, but really, what I do is I work with uh, patients and families to get an idea of how their genetics could impact their health, and so. As an example, in cancer, you know, if I'm talking to someone that has a current diagnosis or a past diagnosis or someone that's unaffected but has a family history, the question I try and help answer is, could your cancer be related to an inherited genetic association, mm. something getting passed down in the family, but the folks at a higher risk to get certain types of cancers? And that kind of then translates into other fields, right? Is it just, is there some genetic factor impacting someone's health? And then what, do we, what can we do about it? What can we do about it for that family Um, and I then act as a bridge to a lot of the other healthcare providers by saying, okay, you know, they're currently dealing with X, Y, and Z, but it might be in the context of a genetic finding. And here's how that might change things, whether it's in terms of, you know, how they're treated, um, options like, you know, one of the common areas that impacts in the cancer world is like surgical decision-making, but then also family members too, getting a sense of like, all right, a lot of times this stuff's inherited. So who else might be at a higher risk to get X, Y, and Z? What can we do about it?
4: So I think this is a good point to jump in here with a Patreon question um, because it kind of ties into what you were saying or talking about earlier, Brian. And this there's kind of like several questions within this one question, but we'll 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 kind of break it down here. So this comes from uh, one of our patrons named Mark. He knew we were going to be talking to you, and his first his first question was, "What is the difference between the type of genetic testing that you use?" Versus the commercial tests like what Brian had mentioned earlier twenty three and me or you know ancestry or something like that
3: yeah, that's a great that's a really good question, and it's something that you know I talk to tons of people about just because right they think genetic testing and then you end up operating under these different umbrellas that it can you know live in, and so I, I I end up looking at the type of testing I do as clinical. You could think of it as you know a type of medical test your doctor might order like an MRI or blood work or you know whatever trying to get to like a medical related concern Mm -hmm. where then I look at things like 23andMe is more recreational and it it kind of clinical and recreational bleed a bit in the direct-to-consumer world where the 23andMe outbreaks I know 23andMe is FDA approved to report on some findings but there's inherent limitations with what they're able to report as well as like the clinical actionability of some of the health related stuff they can give on a report. And I know, I think they've gotten a lot better at like stating these limitations. So when people walk into the test, they kind of have an idea of like what they can and can't take from it. Um, But I would say, you know, if there's a, a medical concern in the family that could be genetic, definitely err on the clinical testing side of things. Whereas, you know, if you're curious about ancestry or some of the other information you can pull from, like a direct to consumer test, then that might be the the path for you. Yeah. And I know, depending on who you talk with, you're going to get a lot of different opinions, like in you, terms, you know, issues with it or not.
0: Right. Do Do you meet a lot of your clients um, through through like them doing a direct to consumer genetic test, and then they're like, "Oh, shit, hmm, I test? Right. I I it identified that I had this gene, and now." you know, I think that I'm susceptible to develop this. I should now go and see a real genetic counselor. Do you, do you hear from people like that quite a bit?
3: I wouldn't say it happens too frequently, but it definitely does happen. I know there are some situations we've run into where, um, you know, they do 23andMe and they opt into the health-related side of things. And more specifically, and I'd have to double-check to see if this is still current, but at least at that point in time, 23 in me was um, able to report on three specific mutations within the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, which are related to hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. These three specific mutations are also called the Ashkenazi Jewish founder mutations. Well, and so, you know, if you are of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry, like that test can provide to you, but those aren't the only mutations in those genes that are related to risk. And Those aren't the only two genes related to breast and ovarian cancer. And so I ended up seeing this person because they did that testing. It came back negative. Well, they're not Ashkenazi Jewish. That's kind of no surprise. And then their family history, though, was still like super striking and concerning. Mm -hmm. And then we run a more clinical test and sure enough, find something in a different gene related to what we're seeing in the family. And so there's, there's definitely concerns about people misinterpreting a negative result off a direct to consumer test as meaning... I'm good to go. Like I'm clean. Like I don't need to worry about cancer risk. When in actuality, oh no, there's like a lot of stuff going on that could be um, due to something
0: else. Man, that that sucks because I got my 23andMe uh, report back and I opted into the health one and it was like you're all good. You don't need to worry about anything. And I was like, that's sweet. Also, I know that I'm not one of those people that thinks cilantro tastes like soap. So yeah. it was really <laughs> helpful for that reason. Yeah. But also, and now you know. I looked at that and I was like. Man, I'm I'm good, but now now I'm thinking like maybe I need a more
3: complete. Picture. Maybe
1: you need to see a genetic counselor to find out <laughs> a if, real one. If, how good you really How are. how much yeah. you hate cilantro. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's,
3: and that's, that's one thing too though is I, I know the direct co- to consumer testing labs have gotten a lot better at how they convey information. So you know mm-hmm. I think last month I ran into one of these scenarios where someone came to me because they did direct to consumer testing, but then they were reading through the caveats, I guess. And we're like, mm-hmm. if you still have a pretty extensive family history of cancer, it would be worth meeting with a clinical genetic counselor for clinical testing. And she read that, and she was like, "Well, okay, that testing was negative, but there's still a lot of stuff going on in the family, so I wanted to run it by you."
1: Mm-hmm. And I was like,
3: "That's fantastic that people are catching that because yeah, right, yeah, we don't yeah. want to miss those." I, uh,
1: I, in this sort of like in this discussion, this conversation about about. Uh, you know, direct to consumer stuff, and I, I I know that companies like that have 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 played have played a role, and like and just like the the advancement of science in general have played big a big role in people just being more um knowledgeable and informed. Might not be the right way to say aware. it, but aware they're aware of. Uh, genetics and there and more like terms, like scientific terms in in genetics are 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 more commonly known. And you know you've got the 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 talk about CRISPR over the last number of years. Ooh. It's gotten a lot of people's attention, and it just seems to be like genetics just seems to be more a part of the common vernacular and vocabulary of of of, of the everyday person. How has how has you know the last Ten years changed the work that you do, like the people that you see, and just kind of the 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 nature of 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 genetics.
3: Oh yeah, I mean it's it's, boomed, and and this is coming from a guy who's been in the game now for like, now I'm out of grad school for about two years, so even in those two years, things have changed quite a bit. And I think you know one of the positives that I look at direct to consumer testing having provided the populace is people are just like talking with their families more about health history, Mm. which I think my big plugs that I want to let like your audience know is talk Mm -hmm. about family. And there's going to be limitations to that too. Like family dynamics or family dynamics. Not everyone's in contact with everyone. I've had several patients that are adopted, know zero things about their family, but like to the extent you can do discuss health history with your family because it can be important. Now to get to your question in terms of the advancements, you know, I think a really good example is I see a fair number of folks that were diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 38 10 years ago, and they had genetic testing at that time, and it was negative, but compared to now, that testing is super limited, and so I see them for updated testing, and in some cases, we find stuff we know now that we didn't know then. Um, even in terms of what we're able to do with the information, that's changed greatly, so um, a pretty hot area of like research right now is this whole idea of targeted therapeutics so mm-hmm. identifying people with certain cancer diagnoses that have <coughs> mutations in certain genes <coughs> maybe we can take advantage of that from the therapeutic side and so we're now even approaching genetic mm-hmm. testing in people where like the actual result might change with the medical oncologist prescribed them to treat the cancer oh and, whoa. Uh, whoa yeah
0: Um, I, I wanna come back to something that you said uh about a minute ago there. You you were talking about uh you were referencing this example of this person um coming in to see you for this updated testing. And I was thinking about how uh with you know, with my experience with 23andme, I opted into that health report and it basically said, Are you sure you want to see this? And like all I had to do was click okay, and then it sent me that report but you know with my experience it's just a, me reading a screen and i'm getting that back for you when you're seeing um the people that you work with like is there moments where you have to like break this news to them where you're saying like oh hey like look you have this gene and you know there's a very high chance that you will you know develop this form of cancer or 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 whatever um is I'm I'm just imagining that those must be really hard conversations to have. Is that is that like something that you have to um, deal with?
3: Oh, yeah. No, I think that, you know, cancer sucks. And there's many reasons why it's unsatisfying. And it, it's interesting. I think being in genetics has taught me to never assume anything, even never assume how someone might take information. So I've definitely had tons of hard conversations where, you know, I got to tell someone who's currently going through breast cancer, like, oh, hey, by the way, you're also at a pretty high risk to get ovarian cancer. We got to talk about preventative surgery, like in the context of all this other crap you're going through right now. um, Uh, Other family members might have it. You run into some rare situations where, you know, the conditions you test for can increase risks for cancers in childhood. And so, you know, in the adult cancer world, we rarely test children for this stuff, but we do sometimes. And so you have to then have conversations about like, oh, you know, the thing we found could be putting your kid at risk to get cancer, like now, and we might need to address that. Um, but on the flip side too, especially as we approach things like this whole targeted therapeutic thing, the opposite's true, where like a good, re- like a, um, I guess not a good result, a positive result, where we find something is good news, right? It gives them potentially some tools to work with that weren't available before.
4: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: So, you know, even walking into the door with a negative result, like we didn't find anything, that can sometimes be worse news than if we had found something to that person. Um, So it it all kind of ebbs and flows, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of hard conversations. One of the other ways I see it pan out in a way you might not expect is when we don't find anything, but the person's been really, Hoping for an answer as to why they got cancer. Mm. And in most instances, we can't give that. But sometimes I can say, oh, hey, we found a mutation in this gene. That's probably a very large reason why you got breast cancer. And then they can now say, like, oh, I was thinking, like, I lived a stressful life. I, you know, maybe didn't eat super healthy. They're putting a lot of the blame on themselves in a way that can kind of remove some Mm. of it. Like, oh, this was completely out of my control. Like, I had no Mm. say.
4: Yeah. do you? I, I I know that you like. So you specialize in in genetic counseling in the world of cancer. Um, what other what, like? What other specialties are there? Like, is is there? Is it quite a broad range of of sort of like genetic testing technicians that 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 deal with with other types of of illnesses or diseases?
3: Oh yeah, it's it's. I'd, I'd say like the classic areas of genetic counseling where you know, when it was first kind of originating and for a long period of time were primarily cancer, prenatal genetics, and then pediatric genetics. Those are kind of like the big three. But as our understandings increased, as testing technologies increased, um, you see genetic counselors operate all over the place. So cancer, prenatal, and pediatric are still the big ones, but an area that's gotten a lot of Uh, Advancement in recent years has been inherited cardiovascular disease. So we're families that maybe have inherited cardiac conduction defects, like the electrical system of the heart's whack, or like the structure of the heart because of the genetics is out of whack. So these families run into like early onset sudden deaths. And so you can use genetic testing to identify who might we need to put like an implantable cardiac defibrillator in, in case Mm. they have like a fatal
1: I mean, there's been like uh, there's been like, you know, when you hear of like athletes that Mm. are, you know, peak top of their sport and then they drop they drop dead. I I, I, I watched this thing not too long ago and it was a whole it was on the cycling channel that I follow. But it was like a 20 minute advert where they went and they talked to a bunch of people at this university in the UK. And because they were going, hey. If you're an athlete like working like and, and you are you are exercising vigorously you should know what your heart like you you know you you could be you could be at risk of like dropping dead and like not that that's something that you and and it's like, like you said earlier like it's something scary but you'd want to know about it if it was there.
3: Oh yeah, and I think that's a tricky part too with the whole wanting to know cuz I think a lot yeah. of what genetics ends up falling into and I see a lot in cancer but you can see it a lot in other places too is this like how people sit with uncertainty, and that that looks differently depending on the on the space here. And so, like cancer, in a lot of ways, it's pretty actionable. Like the info we get, we can we can then act on in most cases and work to either um, try and catch cancer early. In some cases, prevent it. Other areas of genetic counseling. So a good example is um, Huntington's disease this neurodegenerative yeah. condition where it's one of the interesting ones where if you have the mutation, you're going to get Huntington's. It's not like an if, it's just like you will get Huntington's. And I know there's like clinical trials looking into treatments, but as of right now, I don't think that's like approved. So really there's, it's really just knowing. That's kind of why people right. do it. Mm-hmm. And you can't unlearn it once you know it. And so mm-hmm. not everyone's going to want the info.
4: So mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that ignorant, like, you know, I, the, We've had conversations similar to this, especially when talking about death. You know, like that—that that sort of debate of like, do you want to you know? know? Would you want to know? And and it's such a, it's such such a subjective answer mm-hmm. all the way across the board. Like, I, I, there's there's no two people that that feel the same about it. Everyone has their own kind of like. Ah, I don't. I don't it makes me feel a really certain way if I if I would want to know or if I. You know, or some people, and some people are just like, "Yeah, fucking tell me, tell me the more the more I know, the better. The more I know, the more I can, I can like live life or whatever." I, 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 I.
0: This J- might I, be I like. Wanna, for a- I wait before you leave. This I yeah. just want to ask, ask, uh, Josh, have you tested yourself? Uh-huh. Like thinking of that conversation of knowing or not knowing stuff. Have you te- like Have you tested your own
3: genes? I actually haven't done any genetic testing. Not for any like, so like you know, I kind of you know. Sure. Be- at a counseling school, you end up thinking like, "What's my family history look like?" And at least that doesn't appear like there's any major things that would jump out to me that I might want to test for. And with regards to things like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, like I'm not opposed to that testing. You're going to find people with different opinions on that. I think it's very much like, at the end of the day, it's your genetic information. So if you want it, like it should, you should have it. It's you know responsibly. But I think you know when that was going on, I was in grad school and. A poor. So I just <laughs> dive into it, and I I haven't uh yet, or maybe I just haven't felt the the urge or the drive. But I feel like if for some reason something were to come up that would make me like genetic testing would be something on the table. I think I'm probably the type of person that would definitely go for it,
4: so, like an information as yeah, power type of thing. Right. Yeah, right. So you've never done genetic testing. You're 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 a genetic counselor. You've never done genetic testing. Uh, you, you're you're potentially a drug dealer. Have you ever done the drugs that you uh, that you <laughs> deal on the side? No, and
3: for for my my employer, I'm not a drug dealer. I promise.
0: <laughs> Josh, you know, um, don't. Um, no, but it's kind of like you know, a tattoo artist that doesn't have tattoos, right? Yeah,
3: right? yeah or a barber yeah.
4: who has like. A mop. You know, it's like every time I go, there's a there's a there's a barber shop here. I know exactly and who you mean St. Louis. Uh you go in and see Rob, and Rob's got this fucking just like mop on his head. Yeah, like he hasn't cut his hair in years. And he's an amazing barber. It's hilarious. Um uh I do I, I this might be for a completely different podcast, but I'm dying to know what your thoughts are on um on, and I don't know if this is like an ethics question. I may I guess it must be like the ethics behind the the entire like Golden State Killer uh, yeah. case, I'm sure you're aware of of like how genetic testing played a huge role in capturing this this serial killer from you know way back in the the 60s or 70s or whatever it was, um, who had pretty like <clears throat> pretty much would have got gotten off completely scot free if it wasn't for this massive database that 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 obtains the DNA and genetic, uh, results from, you know, tons of these people who have done things like 23andMe and Ancestry.com or whatever. What are, what are your thoughts on that whole case? And is there like, is it, does it sit, we, does it, is it weird that that happened? Is there, is there some weird ethics going on there or what do you think?
3: Oh yeah, I think Ooh. ethics is definitely wrapped into that, and there are probably like bioethicist minds that are more well versed in that than I am. But I would say like my reaction, just being in the genetics field, so I was in grad school in the Bay Area when that happened, Whoa. and it was like that a easy. big deal. They're like, "Holy craps!" Okay, we used, you know, the law enforcement used genetic testing information to solve this cold case from however many years back, and it was like the mm-hmm. super hot topic that I think still sparks conversations with the patients I talk to today wrapped around this question of like confidentiality and genetic discrimination. Right. And that's a big concern. And I think it's a fair concern. I mean, that's why we have laws like HIPAA and we have like these health record security laws. And so I think that's one limitation people should know about when they go into something like recreational testing is the data security associated with your genetic information is not the same. It is on the clinical side of things. Hmm. These, Direct to consumer testings, I believe, aren't beholden to the same protections or the same regulations in terms of like sharing the data. And I'm pretty sure when you do the test, like you sign a waiver saying.
4: Yeah, I'm. I, I, I remember reading somewhere when I was looking looking up like the Golden State Killer stuff that the the database that the that the detectives used was a database that that technically pays. 23 yeah, think it like me or
3: pays
0: or ancestry, yeah, exact yeah. That was it, yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's and, some and of so they, those, some of those direct to consumer um, tests or or companies they subscribe to that uh, get match or whatever. it was Yeah, called. sure. And, and some don't, but they' you have to read the findings. Yeah, that, and I don't right.
3: know yeah. if that's still a thing anymore. At least mm-hmm. I know in like the clinical side of of stuff because it's a question that. You know, it's something that is a part of our informed consent process is letting people know, here's Mm. like the current protections against genetic discrimination as it pertains to various things like health insurance and employment. So, like in Mm -hmm. the States, there's a federal law that provides some protections. I'm not quite sure what it looks like, you know, in Canada, but um, I always let patients know too, at the end of the day, secure data is an oxymoron. And so nothing truly secure, but it's as secure as it can be. Like it's as secure as the rest of your health record. And yeah. in Colorado specifically, we have, you know, these, the individual states will bolster these laws and we've got our own, like the sharing of genetic testing, inf- genetic information becomes even more strict. So like we have patients fill out these information releases, essentially saying these and these people are only are the folks you can talk to about my genetic info. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's pretty you know, the protections are definitely there. I think they're getting stronger. Like I know Florida recently passed a law making it so life insurance can no longer ask about genetic testing information, which yeah. I think is the first state in the country to have that sort of a law. And I think because genetics is starting to bleed its way into so many different areas of healthcare, my guess is these protections will probably strengthen, but right. it's something that's on people's minds, right? Because you, you read things like the Golden State Killer, you're like, well, is me doing this test going to bite me in the ass later on?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We, we had something, we had, there was an article, and we we discussed it on the show, and it was back in the summer, I think. It might have even been be- spring. And it was in the Globe and Mail. Something around some laws that were that were being, some legislation that was being uh, put to the floor about, about further protections so that employers weren't allowed to access um access i can't remember if it was ge- if it had to specifically to do with genetics or if it was medical records, but it was like it was very much to the same tune of your ta- as you're talking about Josh, in terms of what you have in the states for protections that they were bolstering these protections so that employers couldn't discriminate or can't discriminate against you know people for having a, a condition. I mean, like you know you think about if somebody i mean it, 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 the, there's a huge taboo about pregnancy you know, women being pregnant and getting a job and being mm-hmm. like, well, and employers passing judgment, um, or being prejudiced for someone having a baby or are you going to wanting to get a job and them saying, Oh but you got CF, you have yeah. CF man. I don't want yeah. like, what if you, what if you like, I want to, I want this employee to be here for 10 years. Like, are you are you going to be here in 10 years? Yeah, right. You know, and, then, and you not being able to get be a job. So wild to hear you know that. like how crazy would that be? Like the, that you <laughs> yeah. are can be protected that they don't yeah. have to know that you have to Imagine yeah.
0: imagine a job interview where a woman comes in, say she's like 30 years old and she leaves the room and the guys are sitting there and they're like she seems like she's too ripe. Like <laughs> wow. She could be potentially you know thinking about She was pregnant. glowing today. I Bet she's pregnant, is-
1: dude. I, I know. I know. As 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 idiotic as what you just said was, <laughs> you're. I like. I. Get, I bet you that happens, and which is cr- which is crazy.
3: Oh, it's a valid concern. I know there was um, talk. So they've. I don't exactly know if it's still something that happens. I think it's probably workplace dependent, but a lot of you know companies and stuff will have these employee wellness programs, right? So like, if you log going to the gym or you take part in these like you know, physical health promoting exercises, you can get certain benefits like mm-hmm. reductions in how much you're paying for health insurance, that sort of a thing. And I think I remember hearing again, I don't know if this is still like something that's occurring, but I remember there being a thing related to like doing genetic testing as part of that wellness program. And there's a lot of concerns wrapped up around <laughs> That and that's kind of <laughs> yeah. that's pretty sticky too because you're like, well, who's coordinating it? What's it for? Like, who are you doing the testing through? Yeah, it's like, yeah. kind of sketchy and unethical. Sticky,
4: so. s- sticky, literally and figuratively, you got to come in a cup before you can continue working. <laughs> I mean, oh, come on, t- is that come is on. that it, that's is that
3: preferred sample? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was hey, like, man. I was like, hey, I don't man. think that's how you do hey, that. Hey man,
4: come into a cup. There's a bunch of genes in that cup. <laughs> oh my you. god, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: Josh, I wait, wait, hold on. Actually,
4: hold on though. Am I am I off base? There is. Is semen not something that is used in genetic testing?
3: You can do genetic testing, like you can do. Um... Thank you. They're <laughs> yeah, not. I mean, it's, no. got, it's got your genetics in it, right? Like they, will do. It's pretty oh, a bunch rare. of little <laughs>
4: swimming genetics. I know. I've seen them.
3: Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> rare. I mean, they'll they'll test semen for. Uh, uh, there's this whole idea called germline mosaicism, where Whoa. let's say you're talking about like some kid has this uh, genetic condition. You diagnose the kid is having condition X. The question then the family will have a lot of times beyond okay what does this tell us about how we need to take care of our child? We want to have more kids. You know what's the risk for us having another child with this condition? A lot of these cases can happen brand new in someone, so it's not like the kid inherited from either parent. It's just a brand new mutation in them.
4: Yeah, it's like and me. The risk and so to have yeah. another
3: child with it's like super low. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there's certain instances of things like germline mosaicism. Where you know that mutation might be in some of the father's sperm cells, and so if there's concerns for that, they could potentially test semen to get a sense of like, are we seeing that mutation in sperm cells? And if so, okay, well now mm. there is a risk to have a future child with whatever
4: that condition. But is. but t- typically, you're you're looking at uh, like like on a, on a on a a day in a life of, of Joshua Keys, you're looking at spit, right? Like, is is it is spit? the kind of the go-to for, for genetic counseling?
3: Yeah, I would say, I'd say blood above all. Um, but okay. spit and blood, so you get the same like quality of information out of it. Um, we are also now working to like help coordinate genetic testing of like in my role specifically, um, the, the cancer itself. Cause like all cancer is genetic. It's just not all cancer is inherited genetics. So if you were to sequence a a cancer tumor, you're going to find a bunch of mutations just in the tumor that's nowhere else in that person's body. And so sometimes you can use the genetic testing of the tumor beyond guiding things like treatment decisions to get a better idea of what you might be working with in an inherited sense. And because you're sequencing genes, you can inadvertently find inherited mutations when you're sequencing a cancer, like the cancer itself. Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. Josh, when, when, uh, Sometimes when I want to uh, try to sound smart to convince myself that I'm smart, I use big words. So I'll say things like "sequence the genes" and mm-hmm. you know the human genome and things like that. You do say that. I really don't know what any of that stuff means. Oh. So when you, when you look at like we're talking about genetics and how you can get a sample of of this person's genes through saliva or blood or like Jeremy said, uh, semen, like what, uncommonly, but what. What is a gene? Colloquially knows. What are genes and and like <laughs> I know that there's mutations oh. and there's all these different types and there sure. and people have different ones and stuff. Like, can you break that down
3: for me? Yeah. Totally. I think you know, genetics is one of those things that like with any profession or whatever. I know when I was like getting into the, the field, my dad, who's a physicist, like so science, but different science, and he was like, explain to me this topic without using any of like the vernacular Mm because that's how you know, you know it. Right. So when you, when you, when you start to talk about like DNA and genes, you can really think of like your genetic material as basically an instruction manual of like you as a, as a person. And so genes are these, you could look at it as like chapters, essentially like each of these genes is the instruction manual for, you know, some type of molecule in the cell that does a specific job. And that job could be a wide variety of stuff. So like in cancer genetics, a lot of the genes we look at work to prevent cancer in a lot of ways. They do this by repairing damage in DNA or responsibly promoting cell growth. And so what we're looking for when we actually do genetic testing in a cancer setting is Mm. could there be a change to that instruction manual that's causing those instructions just to be super whack like in, in other words does that mutation cause that function to not work properly because mm-hmm. that's what puts people at a higher risk to get x y and z um and where mutation- do they live
0: do they do they live in your like cuz you're you're sampling them from blood and and saliva like is it just the the genetic material is just floating around mixed an- in with all that
3: or It's in cells. And so, like, yeah, every single cell of your body has your entire genome in it. What differs, like, a liver cell from a kidney cell is just what's expressed, you know, what is actually built up out of that genetic material. And there's a whole lot of layer of, like, regulation that goes into, like, telling, okay, this cell is going to be a liver cell and we're going to have it make these things to do X, Y, and Z job where the kidney cell is going to look different. But the entirety of the genetic information is present in every single cell, which is why when we do testing for these inherited cancer predispositions, for example, we're looking to see, okay, of this subset of of genes that every cell of the body has, is there a mutation that that person inherited from a parent that that mutation is now in every single cell? of their body mm-hmm. as well. Cause you could think of that mutation being in the very first cell that all cells eventually. Mm-hmm.
0: Out right. Of. So they have like, they have this like say, say in, in a, in a mutation that could cause cancer. It could be that that chapter has instructions that are sort of messed up and they're leading to that cell, not developing as it should. And then therefore when that happens, that can carry on to the cells as they replicate themselves.
3: Yeah, exactly. So you could think of it as like, let's say that the instruction manual is like, its purpose was to read out a sentence that said, the fat cat sat, right? And you were just to remove one of those letters, but you're forced to make it so that you're still reading the words as three letter chunks. Well, suddenly that is just a bunch of garbledygook, like it makes no sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so what you can think about then is with these these cancer predisposition mutations, Someone who inherited a mutation in one of these genes, it really just means that they are closer to a cancer diagnosis than someone who does not have a mutation in those genes. In other words, you could think of that person was just born closer to the edge of a proverbial cliff that signifies a cancer diagnosis. Mm. It doesn't take as much to push them over because Mm. the instruction manuals for a pretty important process are messed up to some degree.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, when you when when you hear about gene therapy, is it basically taking genes that have good instructions and then putting them into somebody's body or cells that have bad instructions? Like that's probably pretty no, simplified. I mean, right
3: effectively, you're I think with like gene therapy and a lot of this whole idea of like, could we cure someone with a, a genetic issue or something that's causing the health concern? At you know being genetic could we in some way like fix the genes or fix the specific genetic defect to then repair that process and then in uh, in a way cure whatever that disease is. And I don't know, you know, I don't know too much about that whole side of things. Like I know that there are, they're currently studying, um, I believe they're currently studying gene therapy in, in a couple cases related to like sickle cell anemia and some of the thalassemias. I don't know really much anything else about it other than it looks promising, but I think that's, one of the goals, the tricky thing is, and I, and I get this question sometimes, right? Is like, all right, if we do genetic testing and I've got a, a mutation in a gene that's putting me at a higher risk to get breast and ovarian cancer, could we do gene therapy and, and fix that? Problem is, it's like really hard to go about doing that because that mutations in every single cell of your body. So we'd have to like fix most cells. Uh, right? mm-hmm. And again, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm in the space, but also an idiot when it com- compares to like that sort of genetics so uh, this is probably super rude to mention there might be someone who's listening is like oh he doesn't know what he's talking about which is very possible
4: you know more than me because I thought rude. it was pronounced gnome you guys kept uh, <laughs> I thought the G
0: was silent <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying I, I'm curating uh, some ideas for a new Instagram account that I'm starting and TikTok called Bro Science Brian's so I'm just oh, boiling down last, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I'm boiling down these uh concepts to the simplest form possible and then just riffing on that on my own. So uh, jo- this is helping.
1: <laughs> jo- Josh is is that is that getting is that leading is that type of is that type of technology and that type of therapy is that starting to get into the conversation of CRISPR and what CRISPR can do and like I I have you know, I've watched Netflix shows and I've I've read articles and stuff. I have a fairly like fairly elementary understanding of what CRISPR is and 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 what it can do. I know that the potential seems to be crazy. Working in the field, you know, everything that I've digested about it is like fairly pop culturey, and so it's kind of it seems hard to to dissect like what is What's really? Where are we really in the science, and what is sort of the the dramat the the, the dramat, dramatized like layer that's placed on top of of that when it comes to CRISPR and and, and what it can do? And you know, for for people listening, what is CRISPR? And, yeah, and, and what does it promise? I guess.
3: Yeah, so I mean, CRISPR is. I think that's one of the tricky parts of the genetics, right? Is it sexy? So like, you know, you get a lot of pop culture, you get a lot of like articles written on like, holy shit, CRISPR. Like, it's it's the future. Like, we're, we're yeah. now going to do Gattaca. And you're like, well... Make your kid
1: 6'3", and they're going to be a professional athlete, 100%. Mm. Like.
3: Right. And so, you know, CRISPR, at the end of the day, was, as I understand it, was they mm. essentially took a, a, a process that bacteria do to fight against viral infection. Like, when viruses, like, attack bacteria, they essentially figured out, okay, one of the mechanisms with which bacteria defends itself is this CRISPR, which is essentially that... And they were like, okay, well, if we can take that process and apply it to like human cells, it then provided a more like specified and targetable way to um, edit genetic information. And it's not perfect. I mean, there's definitely like concerns with CRISPR related to things like, well, okay, if you're trying to edit this specific thing, it still might go off and edit a bunch of other stuff too. I know there was that huge controversy a while back of that uh, scientist from China who reportedly did you know, some type of CRISPR-esque thing in those embryos. And there's like this huge um, blow up in the science community about like, holy crap, was that and no one really knows if it's even like real or legit, mm-hmm. but the thought yeah. that like we knew it could get there, like you start opening the box, right? People are going to take it places like you see that anywhere in science.
1: And that had to do with HIV, right? He he, yeah, he, had, he was trying he had, to he had made Yeah, he had made an alteration to their genetic where they would be immune yes, immune yeah. from right. HIV.
3: Yeah, that was kind of the thought. At least as I understand it, is there's like a certain receptor on T cells that if you knock out, then HIV can't like bind to it. And again, i right. could be misrepresenting this, but I think that was the thought. And the question was like, well, we don't know about CRISPR enough. Like there could have been, like the system might have changed like off target, genetic things that could have messed up other cellular processes and caused Mm. you know other health issues and so it's definitely something that i think right now we're getting to the point where we're identifying these certain tools that you could potentially see operating in that way in the future but my understanding is that really as it pertains to those like hypothetical situations it's kind of like the bioethicist world right now where they're now yeah. like, we need to have the conversations now because technologically we're getting to a point where like it's not just some pipe dream you know yeah. like you could see someone taking it somewhere and so
1: and what do you and what do you and what do you do you know if you make this I mean, like unintended consequence. I mean, if we live in a world that is like everything is politically, everything is politicized and every political decision that like one person likes, somebody else doesn't like, and it will have an unintended consequence always. And, and so, you know, for that guy in China and the doctor in China doing that, it's like, well, what does that, if, if you take away that, if you take away whatever they did to, if you did, did whatever they, whatever he did to take away that, that, that kid's, Um, you know, potential to get HIV. What does that, what does that open the door? What does that open the door for? Like, Jer, weren't you saying that, that CF, that the history of CF mutating, like the the history of CF as a, as a genetic disease was, had something to do with cholera and a mutation to defend against cholera.
4: Yeah. From what I get, from what I have gathered in my non-extensive research, again, someone who thought it was pronounced gnome, um, I, I, um, uh, apparently <laughs> CF was created, uh, the, the, the mutation of CF started as, as a, a, almost a, a human adaptation to, um, cholera. So like people were getting cholera and dying like crazy. And then there was some sort of like, a, a, adaptation might not be the right word, but it's the only one that kind of like makes sense in my head. There was like some sort of adaptational process where somebody somebody's genes mutated in a way where they were they had the CFTR genetic mutation they didn't have CF but they had the CFTR gene and which prevents them from actually getting cholera or prevents them from suffering from cholera like someone who 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 didn't have this genetic mutation and so People are shitting themselves to death around this person, and they're going, "Well, I feel fine." And then there's there's another person that gets the CFTR gene, and then they're like, "Hey, cholera doesn't fuck with me either." And then they're like, "We should fuck and have a baby." And then they have a baby, <laughs> and when they fuck, the baby comes out, and the baby's like, "Well, I definitely can't get cholera, but I also have a genetic lung disease now because you guys both had a genetic mutation, and you decided to fuck."
1: Now was that a great was that a good explanation Guys. or was that a like like I'll on a scale it, one to ten for dummies?
3: It, I think it, I mean you see it too. I mean that's one of the other theories behind sickle cell anemia and as it pertains to malaria is mm, you know, right. Oh, you know, it's a similar type of of thought is like it provided some like protection against this deadly disease, but mm. you know in like a recessive state caused its own on health issues. But yeah, I think as far as like. The gene editing stuff goes and again much smarter minds have much smarter things than than i to say about it it's me it's it's something that you it's we it's to the point where you can't ignore it but i think in terms of like how close we are to actually like doing some of the stuff people are thinking it could do i my Mm. guess i don't think we're that close
0: yeah. yeah. This is so exciting, guys. I'm getting so much content for my new Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> dude, you could, you could
1: just do an, you could just release the audio clip of whatever Jer just said. <laughs> oh, dude, bon, it will be perfect. It'd be a perfect gosh. intro. That's perfect uh, bro science, uh, Brian. Josh, be, before we wrap here, I, I
4: guess, you know, as we are talking about something that, that neither of the three of us really like had a whole lot coming into this in terms of like knowledge of what a genetic counselor's job looks like, the benefits of genetic counseling. What's like, if, in case we haven't touched on something that you think is probably pretty important, is there anything else that you think would be valuable for the folks that they're listening to know about um, about anything genetic counseling or gene therapy in general?
3: Yeah, I would say as as far as, you know, and I guess to kind of put my role in the greater perspective of like someone's healthcare journey, super niche in terms of cancer, like 10 to 15% of cancers, right. Are going to be related to some inherited genetic predisposition to them. So the vast majority are not involved in the type of stuff I think about on the day to day. So pretty finite slice of the pie when it comes to things like cancer. And that's true with most things in genetics, right? Like a lot of what genetics comes across is pretty rare stuff. So Mm. I think the the things that I would like to at least put in the listeners' minds is again that that importance of talking with your family about the health history, whether it's cancer, whether it's like cardiovascular health, whether it's whatever really. Because it can it can really change things. I know like one of the things I talk about quite frequently is this distinction between like hereditary cancer and familial cancer. So you can kind of put cancer into the three buckets, right? There's like sporadic cancer, which is just kind of like your run of the mill. You had organs and biology is not perfect and you aged and were exposed to stuff and you got cancer. But we run into these scenarios where we still see, oh, you know, this family's got a lot of breast cancer going on. Genetic testing doesn't have an answer to it. Can we really say that the women in the family who have not had breast cancer are at the same risk as the general population? Maybe, but maybe not. And so even if there isn't some specific mutation in one of these genes related to cancer risk, um, it could still impact like how people are screened for cancer. And again, a lot of this is coming from like the perspective of like the guidelines we have in the states. So folks from like national health services, it might look a bit different, but I think the through line's the same. Taking stock of family history can give your doctors helpful information when it comes to how they want to take care of you as a person. And it could open the door for potentially <clears> meeting <throat> with someone like me and talking about genetic testing and who knows maybe there is in fact some thing going on in, in the genes that mm. would be important for you to know for your health and, that, and that's again cancer but i think it also is the same in cardiovascular disease and like other health related stuff like family mm. history is pretty important so i think we're seeing it generations like you know like our generation for instance i feel is like much more open about talking about this type of stuff than mm-hmm. the generations previous. I know like cancer, for instance, had a stigma a few generations ago of like it being shameful, like you just don't really talk about it. That's changing, but, you know, still not perfect. So that'd be kind of one of the the big things, I guess.
0: And I I am curious before before we let you go, Josh, Um, my mom uh, was adopted. And so that was the reason why I did the 23andMe test because I was curious to see if I could find out more about... M- my history, I guess, in that sense. Though, try, try to I, find if your mom's dad was a was a a, a, a prolific serial killer. Yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> fortunately, yeah, good. good. Um, so that was a relief. <clears throat> it was good. something that I was definitely concerned about. Yeah. Um. But uh. But I I felt like so with my twenty three and Me test, I felt like I didn't really learn that much more. Um, in terms of like going to see a genetic counselor because and and you know what maybe i maybe i could have if i read through the data better but because i sort of you know was had to read through it on my own and i don't have a background in genetics i didn't really understand you know other than like going through the report card and seeing like yeah you're pretty good (laughs) like that was my basic takeaway from doing that um could it be beneficial for me to see a genetic genetic Counselor to potentially shed some more light on um, anything that I might be concerned about or want to want to follow up with down the road.
3: Potentially, and I I I think the tricky part with like limited family history is it kind of grays up the risk assessment to some degree, right? Because I think in a lot of ways, genetic testing is throwing spaghetti at the wall outside of rare instances where you have a very strong suspicion that like, this is the thing we're looking for in cancer. A lot of the times when we do testing, we look at a bunch of things related to cancer at once. Cause it could feasibly be a bunch of different things. And then, mm-hmm. you know, at that point you could look at it more like tactical throwing spaghetti at the wall. Whereas in some instances, if like no information is available, then you're like, well, how right. much spaghetti do we throw? Do we throw it at all? That sort of a thing. And so I, I take the approach when it comes to genetic information, and not everyone you know may agree with this, is that you know if if you are really curious about looking into this type of information, I'll help facilitate it, but I want to do it in a way that like we set some expectations ahead of time, talk about some of the stuff we might find that could potentially lead you down maybe not doing it like a, a good example is there's a gene called C1 that when mutated is related to hereditary diffuse gastric cancer. It's a specific type of gastric cancer and the the tricky part with that is that if you have this condition and you've never had cancer, the way we deal with that gastric cancer risk is to preventatively remove your stomach. And oh, so cool. wow. what happens if you find a mutation in that gene but it's not driving with the family history? like? does this mutation in your family mean the same thing? Do we remove your stomach, right? It's this whole thing of like, if we start looking, Mm. we might start finding. And then what do we do if we find something that doesn't necessarily make sense? And that's what gets Mm. kind of tricky. Um, But I think, and at least how I look at it for myself, is like if someone's coming out to me and I'm not overly concerned or there's limited information that they're really interested in learning this and I'm I'm there to talk them through like, here's the possible scenarios, the limitations, the risks, the benefits, like give them, as clear of an understanding of what's going on as possible, I feel confident in my abilities as a genetic counselor to roll with what we find. And so at that point I feel like, okay, we now, I'm like kind of guiding you through this process and it helps. Um, Not every genetic counselor is going to operate that way. Um, There is a, Oh, what's her name? There's a genetic counselor that kind of does a lot of work in scenarios related to things like folks who were adopted or limited family history or helping people like better understand like oh i did direct to consumer testing because i just don't know like my Mm -hmm. family i wanted more information i believe i guess i got my computer right here but watershed dna i think is the watershed if you google that you should find her and her information but she's she's a good place to start too that i tend to recommend folks check out in those scenarios because she's just done Mm -hmm. a lot of work and understands that space super well um Mm -hmm. But I was I just always, looking.
0: I think I was maybe just looking for an excuse to hang out with you more. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah that like, you to hang out. But, like, yeah, post COVID,
3: <laughs> like, if you guys roll through Boulder, let me know. Yeah, I think just, you know, taking stock of family history is super important. And I think yeah. expectation hedging, right? Like, you see a lot of stuff booming about genetics. And, like, yeah, it provides yeah. answers in some cases, but I don't think it's this end all be all, like, magical, like, answer to everything type of type mm. of stuff. It, it provides information that could help with an explanation as to why something's happening. But um, I think going into it thinking, ah, yes, this is, we've got all the information and I understand exactly what's going to happen with me as a person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably not the best way to approach it.
0: Yeah. I'm curious. I'm definitely curious of looking into that uh, watershed DNA. And like, I, it's funny because I, I find myself in the camp of like going back to that conversation about would you wanna know when you're gonna die or how you're gonna die? I think I would I think I would just like to know because the more information that I can know, I I feel like I am equipped to be able to handle it. And I'd feel like it wouldn't change the way that I live my life day to day. And it's just I, I think I have a curiosity that I wanna say that it that I wanna satiate by, you know, finding out as much information as possible. Especially because like it's it's interesting growing up with a parent who is adopted because like there's this huge like abyss of like you know who are these people like who who i have biological family that exists that i have no idea who they are and i think the curious curiosity gets the best of me sometimes
3: oh and you're definitely not alone in those thoughts or feelings it's it's i think it's natural to wonder like you know, what is going on? Like, who are those people? Like what information about them could be beneficial to me? And um, I think it's a question that I, I hear time and time again. And, and one that I think is important to ask, and, you know, depending on the person, right. They might be more, more or less motivated to look into it. But, but one I definitely hear quite frequently.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, Josh, man, this has been really fun. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day today to sit down and shoot the shit with us. Uh, it really does mean a lot.
3: Oh, yeah. No, this was awesome. Thank you, guys. I don't, I don't know if you remember, probably not, but I think I had reached out back when I was in grad school oh, no like, way! hey, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. you guys, this is a few years ago, like, hey, if you guys ever wanted, you guys should like look into genetic counseling. You're like, do you want to be in the show? And I'm like, I'm like a first year grad student. I know zero things. I'll hit you up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, think, thing, I
4: do remember that. Yeah.
1: Hey, and yeah, look, look at look you now.
3: You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's me. But, but yeah, I was super excited because I, I was, you know, re-getting back into the podcast and heard the episode on, on Leaf Ramini syndrome. Which yes. is something I, I talk about, and I was like, oh, "I should hit you guys up again." Because yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. awesome. I'm so yeah. glad yeah. it came yeah. around full circle. That's yeah, great. Booby
1: Queen, uh, Booby Queen uh, served us up a great. Uh, she did g- gave us a uh, yeah. gave us a good boost for for Josh to come back and that's right
3: that's hit us great. up again. Well, thanks yeah. a lot, dude. It was really yeah, fun. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, it was uh, great. Talk to you guys.
4: All right, there we go, folks. That was our conversation with Joshua Keys, the genetic counselor. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. We had lots of fun, and we're always having fun here on Fridays. Feel good Fridays. Feel good fun time Fridays. Yeah. Uh, good and time, uh, like I said at the very top of the show, uh, we're going to be doing shit on YouTube a lot more. And I think the way things are going to look is we're going to be we're going to be shooting and filming these host segments for our Feel Good Fridays, and that's where we're going to be pumping out to you on a weekly basis so again oh, boom, 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 uh, boom. follow us on youtube go over there smash the subscribe button and subscribe flip, f- subscribe flick, subscribe on youtube flip subscribe flick the flick the <laughs> bell fucking, smash the bell uh, set it to your home page on google chrome do all that shit take a pic take a picture a screenshot make that your phone background all those things because that ensures that like you will see up. the videos when mm-hmm. they come, when we drop them yeah. on your way The alert bell is yeah, what that does yeah. that. And, yeah. and tell your family. And no, tell your fam, tell, tell your, your fam, family. tell your friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, we are doing this show pretty constantly, <laughs> every Monday, every Friday. <laughs> uh, you got so lazy there. Oh, God, it's just so much fucking work. Uh, Mondays and Fridays, you can tune in anywhere you like. Uh, more specifically, you could do it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the
1: CBC Listen app. And if you've got some sweet-ass letters like Sarah, then you can send them to letters at sickboypodcast.com, and we can read them on the show. It felt
0: violating the way you said (laughs) it.
1: Get some sweet-ass. You've got some sweet-ass letters. Send them on over. Letters, sickboypodcast.com. And if you want to be one of our amazing guests like Joshua or any of the other hundreds of guests that we've had on the show that have been absolutely incredible, you can do that by going to sickboypodcast.com slash contact. Filling out the form. We'll read it. Maybe we'll have you on the
0: show. And I just want to give a huge shout out to the people who make this show happen. Uh, most importantly, thank you, Lauren Sankey, for all Aww. the work that you do. I felt violated by the way that you said huge. Thank you so much to Taylor Gilbury <laughs> for making me feel uncomfortable. Thank you, Jeremy <laughs> Saunders, for all the work that you do. And a huge shout out to the guy with the beats that makes this theme music happen, Rich O'Coin. To our manager, Jeff Lonas for all the hard work you do putting up with us. And to, again, Jer, uh, for editing these Feel Good Friday episodes.
1: Oh, yeah. I feel like Jer should get one thank you with both things wrapped thank into you it two. Two L-
4: Thank it. you for two. I'll take it. I like double thanking him. Uh, that is it for this week, folks. Uh, I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.